We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. You think football is still fun? Uh, yes. Sir. Yes, no. No? Sir, sir uh, it was fun. Not anymore, though, is it? Is it? No, not by No, it's not fun anymore. Not even a little bit. Just look at that. He hit the fucking ball. That gets a free steak. <laughs> you having fun yet? Oh, yeah. I'm having a blast. Thanks. Good. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Uh, This show is also brought to you by the Big Screen Sports Patreon group. Shout out to a new patron, JM. Thank you, sir. Uh, Appreciate the support and also appreciate the support of all our patrons, especially our big chill level patrons, our show producers. That is Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D, Ryan Yeager, Mike Dries, James Koluski, Chris Mikoski, Andrew Teagle, and John Craig. We have officially reached Have to Take a Breath during that. Thank you to all those patrons for that support. Uh, lots of perks for our patrons, but in any tier, they get voting privileges, which is they they run the show. Uh, they get to pick a lot of what we cover, the movies we cover, the TV shows we cover, and they get episodes uploaded early, which today's was. Patrons got to hear today's interview with Jeff Perlman a few days ago, talking HBO's new show, Winning Time, based off his book, Showtime. I'm recording this fresh off watching episode one, literally just wrapped hopped onto the mic. I loved it. Uh, Right up my alley. I think if you've been listening to the show for a long time, this will be right up your alley too. It's got those great Adam McKay touches, the big short vibe of fourth wall narration. It's got these, this great like seventies, eighties vibe, how they, how they film it. uh, The, the screen color. I don't really know how to describe it, but you'll know it when you see it. It's, it's really, really cool. Uh, Quincy Isaiah. He's great as magic Johnson. Like we, Jeff and I talk about in this show. He thinks this guy's going to be a star. This guy's going to be talked about. I fully agree after seeing this. John C. Riley was great. Gabby Hoffman was great. Just a, a truly enjoyable show for sports fans, uh, people obviously with interest in the eight in 80s NBA. Um, I, I cannot wait for the entire season. I hope that that this is something that, that goes on for, for Jeff's sake and for my sake too. Like I hope this is a, a multi-series run that HBO makes into, you know, the Chronicles of the Lakers, you know, it's interesting an NBA franchise I think as there is 
So um, it's live on HBO Max now. Go check it out. Let's get into today's episode, uh, talking to returning guest Jeff Perlman about how winning time came to be, some of his thoughts on the show, the process, and just some great behind-the-scenes info. Really glad that Jeff could come on. And go support the show. Go go watch it. Treat yourself. Uh, here is me and Jeff Perlman talking winning time. All right. I am joined today by a returning guest of this show. I think this is the six or seven timers club, but for the first time ever, we're not talking about a objectively bad sports movie as we usually do. Uh, it is returning to the show, the New York Times bestselling author of nine books, soon to be 10 book, host of two writers slinging Yang and author of Showtime, Magic Kareem Riley and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s, which the new HBO series Winning Time is based off Jeff Perlman. Jeff, welcome back to Big Screen Sports. Hopefully, you said we're not talking about bad movies. Hopefully, we're not talking about a bad TV show. Uh, from everything I have read, I, I don't think we are. But surprise, we're just going to talk about Teen Wolf tonight. I, I thought we just, just flipped the script. More chubs. <laughs> That's okay. This is, I, I'm getting completely off topic. I'm being a bad interviewer by not like going into, you know, what I was planning to talk about. But in, uh, in Showtime, which I've got right here, everyone should go read Showtime. I, I imagine it would be a great like companion to this this great series. But I, when you talked about uh, big dumb Mark Landsberger on the Lakers, I always thought of Chubbs. I feel like the actor who played Chubbs, whose name I should know but don't know, easily could have transitioned to being Landsberger in the series. And I know the actor playing Chubbs would probably be about sixty five now. Yeah, I don't really think that matters. I think he could be an older, wiser end of the bench landsberger dispensing wisdom to a young magic johnson yeah except landsberger not not a man of of much wisdom but um so we're we're here today we're going to talk about winning time uh you're going to the premiere tomorrow day of recording uh, depending on when this episode drops it is either coming out sunday night or will have come out this just this past sunday it's going to be um, season one. Uh, this is to be a spoiler-free episode. I'm not cool enough for screeners, not as cool as Jeff. Uh, for those who haven't read Jeff's book, it's this. The Showtime spans essentially over a decade of the the Showtime Lakers, Magic, Kareem, Pat Riley. Um, season one of the show, Jeff. What are what are we looking at for uh, for what they've taken from your book? So first of all, I'm just going to do one spoiler, and it is the aliens do attack. Well, I mean, I, I figured from that that's such a big point of the book in that, you know, when the aliens actually replace all the Lakers and, and, and take their bodies. Right. The aliens do attack. But otherwise, it's basically, uh, I mean, the first season is this. It's kind of funny. People have this wrong a little bit. Like the first season I'm walking. The first season is the 79 to 80 season. So the book, as you know, because you read it, is 79 to 91. So it's basically Magic's arrival to his announcement that he has HIV. And the first season of the show is um, 79.80. And the first episode of the show really is Magic's um, arrival and Jerry Buss buying the team and sort of the convergence of these two titans in Los Angeles at the same time. And that's kind of the opening of the, of the show. Well, the, the book really sets up great for a 10-season a show. Like it sets up to be one of these like, uh, you know, like Dallas or MASH or one of these shows that just goes on forever because it really like each chapter kind of focuses on or every couple of chapters kind of focuses on um, a, a different season with the Lakers as told through, you know, various eyes of these people. When when they reached out and when, you know, when Adam McKay got involved and things got serious, 
um, you know, when it becomes a real thing, like this is, this is happening. I, I know you stayed out of it because I've listened uh, your podcast. If people want like the make how Jeff came to be, you know, how the show came to be, uh, check out Jeff's podcast. He released a podcast uh, today, day of recording uh, with his wife talking about it. He was on green light with Chris long talking about a lot of, lot of you, you put a lot of work in. So I know you stayed out of it, but when things got kind of serious, did you in your head have an idea of like, this is how I would do this if I was in charge of making this a TV show? I did not because I'm kind of a moron and this is not my world. I have, <laughs> I really have. I've been very aware from the beginning. That's just not my world. And I don't really know how it works. I've learned stuff through this process, but it would have been weird. To, like, you know, they, they have talked about doing multiple seasons off this book and they options Three Ring Circus, my Shaq Kobe book, is a potential continuation of the series. I consider all of that a long shot. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but it seems like a long shot. Like a lot, people would have to really not grow tired of the Lakers to watch. Let's say they turn Three Ring Circus, and I mean the Showtime, into five seasons. They condense some of the seasons, and then they morph into Shaq and Kobe. I mean, it's a lot of Lakers. It doesn't mean they can't do it, but it's a lot of Lakers. So I just, I never had a, I'm just kind of overwhelmed. Like, I'm just, it's not my world. So I'm really, I'm just, I'm aware of my lack of knowledge about this all. Have you done any like browsing on Zillow of just, just ridiculous homes and be like, you know, hypothetically, if they made 10 seasons out of my books, have, have you, have you at least done that, that quick look? No, I, um, every now and then I'll, I'll order a new t-shirt from T Public uh, for $22 and that'll be my big with a nice fabric. I'm not a guy like that. And also the money isn't nearly as good as you think it is. It's not bad. It's nice. It's cool. It's, it helps you. But there'll be no yachts being purchased off of this experience. I don't know. Apparently we're about to have a bunch of, of discount Russian oligarch yachts good point. kind of kind of hit the market. So don't don't sell yourself short because we're about to have a yacht surplus. Good point. I didn't think of that. Like, like the four, I'll be heading down to my local foreclosure auction to buy myself a yacht. Nice. Um, in... And kind of what you talked about, the interviews you've done and the stuff on your show, you've talked about how the, you know, your, someone approaching you about optioning your book or something like that was a big deal for you with your first, you know, with your first book, with the bad guys one, you're super excited about it. You know, they're making a movie out of my book. And then you, you got pretty jaded mm -hmm. in this process and how, and this kind of surprised you. What's the closest you got before this to... In, in, in it actually happening versus you thinking like, oh, this is this is going to happen. I don't think I ever got close. It was always well, I will say this. I did have a meeting. With the bad guys, one someone optioned it at one point and Ron Darling got involved and we were meeting. We were going on pitch meetings. and I went to some studio this was a long time ago. I barely remember, but I went to a pitch meeting with Ron Darling and some team of writers and it thought, oh, this could be a possibility. But I never really in practicality got particularly close. It always was. There's just the thing is, man, there's so much bullshit in this business. Like it's a cliche, but it's actually true. Like a lot of the things you saw in Entourage, as far as people always complimenting, there's no such thing as a bad meeting. Everyone loves your work. I love your work. Oh, you were great in that. The indirectness, the uh, the unwillingness to tell someone to their face is just isn't very good. It doesn't really exist here. It just doesn't. So for years, you'd have people saying, oh, yeah, I know exactly who we want in this. And we have a great producer and so-and-so knows somebody and somebody else knows somebody. 
and you just get really jaded by it. And I am a, I'm a New Yorker. I'm a cynical New Yorker. Um, I was raised by cynical parents. And after a while, you just don't believe anyone. So I don't really think I ever got very close, to be honest. How long did that take? Like how many books until you were like, I don't, I don't give a shit what you're trying to sell me, like option it or don't. Maybe two, three. I know. I just, first of all, I was not, I probably overstate. I think I do overstate sometimes the, I got, so I got $30,000 option to me first time for New York Mets for the Mets book. And I always say like, oh, I was telling everyone. I wasn't telling everyone. I just thought, oh, there's a really good chance here that this could happen, you know? And when that fell through, that was definitely a low or that, that was a bummer. And then the big one was one year, a, uh, you may have heard me tell this story, but some guy took me to the Soho house in LA, which is like this scene. And I remember Ron Perlman was there. The actor Ron Perlman was there. Your cousin, uh, Ron Perlman. My cousin, Ron, a hell, hellboy at another table. And this guy is showing me, um, this guy wants to buy the rights or something. He takes out his phone and he's showing me pictures of all the women he's had sex with. And the pictures he took of them, half naked, towels around, whatever. He's just skimming through them. I fucked her. I fucked her. I fucked her. And it was just like, this business sucks. You know, like this business sucks. It's just, and I, I felt like I kept encountering short guys in their early 40s who really wanted to get laid by 22-year-old aspiring actresses straight off the bus from Des Moines. It just felt like that. And it didn't feel like anyone was sincere or straight. So when Jim Hecht, the screenwriter who came to me for this, came to my house, I didn't believe him. I just, I thought, all right, another bullshitter isn't going to go anywhere. And he wasn't a bullshitter. He was just, he's been a straight shooter the whole time. How long does that take though? Is it until you walk into Adam McKay's house, you told a great story about Adam McKay, just being just dressed like a schlub laying on his couch. And you're, you, if I remember this correctly, weren't as like familiar with his works when he mentioned Adam McKay wants to meet. I knew his work. I didn't know it was his work. Didn't know it was his work. And I had seen a lot of the stuff you would think. Like people make references to me about half his movies. And I'm like, I don't know. But um, I did have to Google him before I went into his house. because I didn't know. And even then, I just really was skeptical. I really think the moment I gained a little like, oh, this might happen. Is when like these publications started writing about like Adrian Brody being cast. And uh, John C. Riley being cast. And then when Sally Field was cast, that was probably the moment when I was like, whoa. And I remember like texting my friend Adrian and she writing back, holy crap, Sally Field. And I was like, yeah. So that that's probably when it felt real. I was going to ask about that with because um, like I'm I've reached a point in my life where if Adrian Brody's in something, I, I think I'm like contractually obligated to watch it just to, as, a, as a shareholder of Adrian Brody, Inc., um, and like, and John C. Riley too, just a huge fan. Um, you know, I, I think we've talked about his work and for love of the game negatively, but for, for overall, he's just, he's the best. And that wasn't his fault. The movie just sucked. No, I, I maintain that the baseball in the movie for the most part is great. Some of the best pro baseball put on film. The love story in that movie is one, just an abomination. But the late Kelly um, Preston, John the late, the late Kelly Preston. Yes. So um, I, I feel like I can ask this now that you've seen the show and you're pleased with it. And it's, it's generally being well-received by the people who are cool enough to get screeners, which HBO, not me would, would love those. Um, was there anyone who, when you heard 
this person's attached or this person's doing it. Did you, did you raise an eyebrow? Cause like even people who dropped out like Michael Shannon, who again, I am contractually obligated to watch Michael Shannon stuff originally attached to Jerry Buss, Bo Burnham originally attached. Was there anyone who you were like, uh, I don't know about uh, these people being in my, my series. Well, to show you how big of a loser I am, I'd never heard of Bo Burnham and I'd never heard of the other guy. What's the other guy's name? Michael Shannon. You, you know, you know, of Michael Shannon. Okay. I never heard of Jason Clark. Never heard of him. Um, but he's amazing. He might be my favorite. Jason I, Clark is great. So goodness. And um, I would say the one initially my wife and I were like, huh, was actually Adrian Brody. Um, just because Pat Riley is so distinctive and sets a type and Adrian Brody is so distinctive and sets a type. And I know it's like probably shitty to say, but like he has a nose that kind of makes him stand out a little. So when we first started watching the episode he was in, at the beginning, we were kind of like, I don't know, and then never thought of it again. In fact, he really comes to embody Pat Riley very, very well. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, the thing I find interesting is all the young actors being thrust onto this huge stage. And, you know, you blink and your life has changed. And I mean, Quincy, I, I always say Quincy Isaiah, the guy playing Magic, was a center at Kalamazoo College. Not center of basketball, center of football. We had to lose 80 pounds for this draw and had never been a basketball player since he was a kid. And there are a lot of rags to riches stories that I just did. With that, how did you feel about the decision when they they went with um, essentially no-name actors for for Kareem and Magic? Because the book, the the this book, and the great thing about all your books is that they involve, you do such extensive reporting, they involve stories from hundreds of people. But in this book, it's stories from hundreds of people. You get your Mark Landsbergers, you know, all everyone who came through the Lakers, all those random draft picks and stuff like that. But everything is tied together with the Magic Kareem dynamic, and especially like Magic. And like you said, the show starts out with that. The book kind of starts out with that after it's after the the Jack McKinney stuff or the um, Jack Head Cook, and going with the deciding, hey, we are going with no name guys guys we're we're gonna put our names elsewhere with john c Riley and stuff but going with the no name guys how did you feel when you you first you know when that was the um when, when that was the move when i guess when they got attached to the project i loved it i really loved it first of all you can't get like how are you going to cast kareem with a known actor first of all find me a six taller than six, eight African-American thin actor who looks like Kareem. Like you can't cast Derek Luke as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, you just can't. And I, and the only actor who's ever looked like Kareem is, is Kareem. Kareem. Right. And uh, you just couldn't do it. So I guess they could have theoretically gone for like the glitz of getting whoever the hot, two hottest young African-American actors and blah, blah, blah. But, I love this because these guys really embody the, the people they play. Like they really, really do. And uh, Solomon, who plays Kareem, I mean, he was a center of Cal. He played for the Harlem Globetrotters. He's a PhD. He's very cerebral. He's a smart guy. It just really works. Like it really works. And he's athletic enough to pull off the part as well. And the guy who plays Magic, he's from Michigan. He kind of gets it. Like he gets the whole coming to he really embodies like the whole idea of coming to hollywood and coming to la and then this guy he literally came from michigan chasing a dream of being an actor just as magic came from michigan 
chasing a dream of being an NBA star. So um, I love it. And they're both really, A, really nice guys and B, really, really good at this. And Quincy Isaiah has the smile because that's that's the thing about the the magic charisma. I mean, that's that's still going, you know, 30 years later. People love him even through his his really bad tweets. I don't know if you have you ever looked at Magic Johnson's Twitter feed? Who is someone asked me about it today? Oh, Jim Rome asked me about it today. And uh, I was like, I basically my conclusion is and I'm just being honest about it. I have no nothing but love for Magic Johnson, all he's represented. I just don't think he's that bright. Like, I think he's like a guy who's had a lot of great circumstances, worked hard, um, was smart enough to put himself with smart people and in good places. I don't, I don't know. I just don't think he's that smart. I think when he does these really dumb tweets or these really laughable tweets, I think you're kind of getting, like he's the anti-Kareem. Like Kareem will be the smartest guy in the room. Magic will not be the smartest guy in the room. I'm not saying he's dumb. I just don't think he's a genius. I, I I'm secretly kind of hoping that he live tweets all the episodes because it'll it'll be a real treat, a great compliment to the show. It should just be you and you and Magic live tweeting the episode kind of side by side. He uh he says he's not going to watch it. Do you do you re- do you believe that? I say there's a very strong chance Kareem doesn't watch it, and literally a zero percent chance Magic doesn't watch it. <laughs> I feel like especially with with everything that you kind of laid out about Kareem and then the the stuff you said in interviews that would line I mean just stubborn as all shit I think 99% of the population if there was a show if there was a show that was even a tiny bit about that people would want to watch this right. show is at least going to feature Kareem a lot and I like you said, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if he it doesn't even cross his mind to watch it. And the funny thing is that kind of makes him kind of cool, actually. Like, that's kind of... A- that would be. Because, like, I, I mean, I sure wouldn't have... Even if, like, I thought it was going to drag me. Probably, especially if I thought it was going to drag me, I would probably definitely watch it. But... Exactly, exactly. With, with Kareem, do you feel like it's not even a, that he particularly cares how he's going to be depicted? Is Do you think it's that you... You talk about it a lot in the book about how just jaded he is towards how he's been treated in his life in general and just the lack of trust he feels with with American general. Do you think even if someone came up to him and told him is like, Kareem, the series shows you in a great light. It's something really spectacular. You know, it's great for your legacy that he would just be like, no, they're going to make me look like an idiot. I think he's more like, no, I have a book to read. I just I'm going to read this book. I'm reading uh, War and Peace. I have to finish that. And then I'm going to get to the <laughs> Lyndon Johnson, the five part Robert Carroll and Lyndon Johnson biographies next week. So that's okay. I, I do the, you know, the new year's resolution every year. Like I want to read this many books this year. I want to, you know, I want to read more. It's like the classic cliche thing. Yeah. I wonder what Kareem's new year's resolution would like re- reading more. How much more would he have to read? I would think his new year's resolution every year. So I'm going to be jollier and peppier. I'm going to get to like <laughs> January 2nd and he's like, fuck this. I'm going back to be me. Uh, with with the the subject of kind of the the non household names portraying you know most of the players, especially like once Bo Burnham dropped out, I don't think there was a single house Bo Burnham to my generation, big deal. Um, wow! I, Thanks for making me feel old again. Listen, you you have we. I think the generational gap between us has made our episodes better because we've been able, especially considering uh your son is is half my age which made me feel like total shit when we talked about kid from left field i just want to say i know this isn't about the lakers this section but i just want to say this is what people never understand people my age 
always think like, yeah, I'm talking to Kyle. And people your age are like, hey, Mr. Perlman. Like, I know you don't call me that, but like, that's how it works. And you'll see when you get older, you'll be like talking to some guy who's like 29 and you're like, hey, man, what's up? And the 29 year old is like, oh, hey, sir. And you'll be like, I've started uh, coaching being the I'm the assistant coach of my kids little league team. And I've I've caught some sirs and some misters. Nobody likes it. It's unpleasant. It's very much it's not. It's not. It's not what you hope for. My thing I get now is uh, people trying to be really nice. Man, I have been reading you for years, or I read you when I was a kid, and I'm just like, <laughs> go fuck yourself. I don't need that information. <laughs> that's that's brutal. Yeah. That's uh, man. I you don't even want to know how old I was when I when I first read the John Rocker piece. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> um. One something I I think I think I remember you saying this, or maybe I read it some that Will Smith at some point was floated in some form or fashion mm-hmm. to this. Do you do you think he was floated as a player? I think his his uh, whatever company or whatever was interested in buying the rights and trying to produce it. Okay, but not not having him in it. I don't really remember. I honestly don't remember. I just yeah, because I was I was thinking with the he couldn't be a player. That wouldn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, listen, weirder things have happened. I mean, they, if they brought in the uh, the technology, I don't know if you saw the Irishman. No, the, it, was uh, great. I mean, it was it was good, but they used that de-aging technology on Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. And it's like it's kind of like miraculous technology. But there's this one scene where De Niro has to kick the shit out of some guy when he's supposed to be like, I guess, in his 30s or 40s or something like that. And it's very clearly a very stiff 75 year old man kicking the shit out of somebody on the sidewalk. I would say um, Wood Harris. Do you know who that is? Yeah, oh yeah, J- Big Julius from is, uh, from Remember the Titans. He's in the show. Wait, that's Big Julius. Remember that's the Big Julius from Remember the Titans. What? Yeah, he plays um, Spencer Haywood in this show, who is a, a veteran Laker. And Wood Harris, I think, is fifty. Yeah, I can and see then, that. I mean, he's he's aged well. I, he was in Creed. You saw Creed. What? Who was he in Creed? Yeah, he he is. Um, do you? Do you remember Apollo's trainer? I've seen that movie 8,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. So Apollo's trainer, uh, was it Duke? Yeah. Yeah. He's Duke's son. He's the one when, when Adonis walks into that gym in LA, wants to get trained. Yeah. And the guy's like, you're, you know, not that's doing Wood it. Harris? That's, that's what Harris. And he was Julius. Yeah. He looks very different from the Julius days. It was like, it was like 20 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, there you go. So that makes make sense to Spencer Haywood. So he's, 50. he's he's probably the biggest name of all the players then. Uh, yeah, the actors like resume. He might be. I didn't yeah, think of that. With that, letting um, with Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes, it kind of lets them be Magic and Kareem, and like people are going to when they when they watch the show. I think for I mean I again I haven't seen the show, but it seems like it would have a chance of being more effective in them really embodying those roles. Because if it was like, not saying like a Will Smith, but if like Michael B. Jordan was cast in one of these roles, like I think in the back of your mind, no matter how good an acting performance is a lot of the time, unless someone completely transforms and looks different, it's like, that's Michael B. Jordan. Like I can't remember if you and I talked about King Richard, but Will Smith, like great performance. I really hope he finally, you know, he gets the Oscar. He's one of our great movie stars, but like, in the back of your mind, it's like, this is Will Smith as yeah. Richard Williams. I was surprised that uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award. I thought it was a really a movie. I thought, I thought was it was good. guaranteed that he was going to get this is like it's it's one of our it's probably going to be one of our last chances to reward Will Smith 
for his Did you like the career. movie? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I it wasn't it wasn't a Hall of Famer for me, but I I enjoyed it. I thought the kids were really good. Very good. Yeah. Um, I thought I mean I thought casting casting athlete. I mean they casted really athletic kids, and I thought right. that that paid a lot of dividends. Yeah, sure. And then the the mom, uh, whoever who the woman who's cast as her mom, she I believe she was also nominated for oh. best supporting actress. Well, that was okay. I liked it. I don't know. It was fine. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, okay, so you hate a lot of sports movies, or you watch sports yeah. movies very critically. Very. We've talked, you know, we've Except talked about this. Except, I mean, no, no critics eye can can fully appreciate what's going no. on there. Correct. Um, yeah. So it's fair to say you hate a lot of sports movies. Yeah, was it was it, hard watching my own show. I was, was about to say, was it difficult watching this being so closely tied to it? You're the first person to ask me that. The answer is insanely so. Very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. I've never, I've never experienced anything like this. I mean, it's by comparison to anything, it's not hard. But like, forget that it's a show that I'm closely tied to. I wrote the freaking book. So, and the other thing is, is like, it's not the story of the book. Like the book is basically an inspiration. And they do use a lot of stuff from the book. But it's not the story of the book, the literal retelling of the book. So you have to mentally allow yourself the understanding that they're going to take leaps, they're going to be flourishes. It's not 100% loyal to the book. It shouldn't be 100% loyal to the book. And uh, that definitely takes, it's the right way it should be, but it takes some getting used to, definitely. McKay is noted for being a big basketball fan. I think he has a basketball-related podcast, if I remember correctly. He does, he does. Um, you, in, I think it was, I, I can't remember which podcast, but you talked about they called you asking for what would the summer league uniforms look like? Do you have a, do you have a picture of that um, sticking, making that extra effort to authenticity that they, they did not have to make. Is that something that you could say you felt, felt like being in Adam McKay's hands that they made the extra effort compared to a lot of the movies that like you and I have talked about, like um, we are Marshall, things like that. 42 where just intentional drops where the, they took a very easy route when it also could have been very easy to, or at least like if they put in a little extra effort could have, could have brought something to the table that was at least a little more authentic. Well, the thing is in a weird way, as much as I do not like 42, I do feel like they tried to be pretty authentic. I do feel like it had the authentic feel of that time period. And 
they did try their best. Um, I just, honestly, God, I really just think it's hard for someone who knows a ton about sports and who's cynical and who wrote a book or whatever. I was, I've been a sports writer for a long time. So like, I know that we are, I know the Marshall plane crash story pretty well. I know Jack D. Robinson story pretty well. I know the Lakers story really well. It's just hard. Like there are even things in this show where you're like, all right, that's not exactly how it happened, but I understand the thing. But those things are hard for me. Like they are hard for me because when you write a biography, you're all about getting it right and getting it accurate and precise. And you can't really take flourishes or leaps. You can't at all. So, um, I mean, I thought McKay and company did an amazing job of being authentic. I really did. And I think the, the feel of the show is very real and it oozes 70s and early 80s. Um, but I don't think it's ever possible to meet my standards as a journalist. It's just like hard. That's why it was hard watching it because it's, you do have, you just have a, a way you've always done something, a way your mind has been programmed to work. And then it's a different medium. Um, I mean, someone, a friend of mine who's a screenwriter told me, I was talking about We Are Marshall one time and how much I hate that movie. And he's like, you have to understand it's entertainment. It's not a, it's not a documentary, it's entertainment. And that's just something I've never been fully able to fully be comfortable with. Well, I think with that movie too, not to completely deviate from what we were talking about, but with We Are Marshall, I, I wasn't that entertained for a lot. I felt like no. in, in that and 42 really lacked the the kind of teeth that the the movies need. And we, we lamented this on the 42 pod and that getting robbed of the Spike Lee version, it's kind of like, you know, it, it would have been a would have been a much better movie. Um, It'd to, be like to, if Disney decided to do a Malcolm X movie instead of Spike Lee. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's exactly what it was. And and then with We Are Marshall, it was just just a lot, a myriad of problems. Wait, can we um, talk about the Disney Spike Lee, uh, Malcolm X movie? At the end of the movie, instead of being shot, people throw marshmallows at Malcolm X and he loves them. <laughs> they they all get along. He actually, they actually solve racism at the end of it. And he hugs, he sees Martin Luther King and then a rabbi and the three of them hug and Malcolm X says, guys, together, we can do anything. And the rabbi says shalom and Malcolm and Martin Luther King says amen. And they hug and they cry and they walk off together into the sunset on a magic carpet. And that's kind of like 42, except for, uh, except for the scenes with Alan Tudyk is the Correct. horrendously racist manager. Correct. Um, to, to bring in a category from a, a typical episode of the show, the most authentic and least authentic parts, yeah. if spoiler free, can you bring in what the most it, you, was there anything that kind of blew you away Maybe in like a surprise of like, wow, I I'm I can't believe they actually nailed that authentic part of of this, you know, especially this first season with the Lakers. I mean, they rebuilt the freaking forum. So like, you walk in on the set and the forum is the forum, and I was sitting in a seat at the forum, but not the real forum, like the state set. And I, when I walked in and I was sitting in the, uh, I'll tell you something they did that was absolutely amazing. It's in the first episode. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar obviously starred in Airplane, was in the movie Airplane. And there's a scene in the show, in the first episode, that Kareem is filming Airplane. They got the actual cockpit from the movie Airplane to film this in. That is fantastic because there's the there's a small clip of it in the trailer. like It's like a flash. Yes, that is the actual cockpit from the movie. And not only that, 
there's a moment when you see three directors talking like they're like Kareem's acting, they say cut. And it's the three guys who directed airplane. No shit. When's the last time you've revisited airplane years and years and years ago, still holds up. Still really good. Yeah. I, sh yeah. I showed it to my wife a while back and it's still like it's funny. Yeah. Still, still good. Still just perfect, yeah. perfect satire. Yeah. Um, it hasn't like aged too terribly either considering right. it's a comedy that's 40 40 something years, years old 42 yeah. years old yeah older so, right isn't it older yeah anyway yeah yeah it's 80 years so that was cool that was very authentic is there anything i mean with the caveat that like you enjoyed this series as much as you possibly could it's getting it's generally well received and no sports movie can be perfect with authenticity was there anything that you're watching and you're like god damn it i mean there's <laughs> There's one thing I can't say. It's not a big deal. I just can't say it, but I can tell you off camera. But the other, I will say, this wasn't bad, but I thought it was funny is, so Norm Nixon is played by his son, Devon Nixon. Norm Nixon was a point guard for the Lakers. His son, Devon, plays him, which is awesome. And he oozes this kind of flair. And there's a scene, it's such a great scene, when Norm Nixon is getting a, uh, a manicure. And, um, and Norm said, told Devon, he goes, I never got a manicure and he also has a mink coat in the show and he never had a mink coat. So little things like that, that I'm totally fine with. <laughs> yeah. The, the, um, the allure of Norm Nixon, just like the, the gravitas comes through in the book. So I'm excited to see that. I'm sure that was what the cool thing was for you after reporting the book and you talked to, it, it sounds like you talked to most of these guys um, or at least people who knew them, anyone who, who had kind of passed on seeing them, seeing them come to life was that I, I know you talked about in the other interview but just like seeing this thing that you built um because it's like it's like when you read your your history book and then you see like you know you see like saving private ryan you're like holy shit this was a, a real thing that happened right um it did did it kind of bring that out to you like that i i guess kind of throw you back into like you're interviewing michael cooper and then you're watching michael cooper on the screen Oh, I would say more so like I go to the set and one day uh, there's a guy, the actor who plays Michael Cooper's name, Delante D'Souza. And one day I was on set and they were filming a Laker game and I was sitting on the side talking to Delante. who's a really nice guy. He's another guy like totally unknown. A year ago I was flipping houses in Maryland, sees an audition announcement online, auditions via Zoom and is now in an HBO series in L.A. And I was talking to him one day and he was dressed as Michael Cooper. He had the Afro, he had the sideburns, wearing short shorts, a lake uniform. And he's like, man, do you ever, uh, do you ever think how all of this exists because you wrote that book? He's like, do you ever think about that? And I was like, I'm standing inside the fake forum, talking to the fake Michael Cooper, watching something I wrote become a TV show. And that was really a trippy, cool, unique moment and i've told delante many times i i was so grateful for that and the other moment was i put on twitter today actually was um i had a cameo or whatever i, I was a reporter and before i shot my scenes adam mckay stopped everything and he was like uh hey guys this is jeff from and he's the reason you're all here today and everyone started clapping and my wife was with me and it was like you're dressed as a 70s reporter in the 70s nba commissioner's office with this famous, famous director introducing you and you're living, you're basically walking inside a scene from a book. Like that's 17 layers of weird. 
I was going to ask you, you, your most recent newsletter, you talked about being a book whore or maybe I don't yeah. know if it's your most recent. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how, you know, how stumping for your book, doing anything you can to, to get that book to sell. Uh, I, the, the Emmys and the award season is, is really the same way. Are you going to be stumping to, to get yourself an Emmy for that? I don't think they give an Emmy. I don't think they give an Emmy to the book writer. I think, you know, like they have the award. Oh no, I'm talking about your cameo. Oh, oh. well, my, you know, my wife, her cameo was much better. So she played, you can see her, she, during the coin toss, there's a moment where the secretary for Rod Thorne of the Chicago Bulls laughs and it's just her face laughing. That is my wife. Her name was Donna. They called her Donna, the receptionist. So when it comes to Emmy time, best supporting secretary in a dated NBA TV show, vote for Donna, Catherine Perlman. Perfect. She's got it. Yep. She's she's like another former guest of the show. We talked about McFarlane USA. And Emma Perlman in the, in the uh, gets a little moment as an extra in the show, too. That's right. Yeah. All, all the former three former guests of big screen sports appearing on winning time. Let's let's frame it as the important moment that it is. Amazing. Um, with, you know, with taking that book again, like I said, there's, you know, it spans over a decade. They're kind of, fo- they're focusing on this, this first season, you know, setting up for the next nine seasons of the show. You, with how the book is structured, kind of like I said earlier, you, you tie in all these great interviews. It's kind of running with the Lakers and what's going on off the, off the court, how that's impacting the court, everything like that. Was there any, was there any decision that the showrunners made in terms of plot structure or pulling in something that just, that just like blew your socks off and like, man, I can't believe they were able to work this in or maybe shift something around that allowed for the story to, to flow in a way that allowed a certain story to get told because the, the whole book is made up of these awesome little stories. It's really the greatest book ever written about anything. That's, that's how I feel. That's, yeah. I mean, that's of all, of all the books I've read about the eighties Lakers, it's without a doubt, the best one. It's amazingly uh, coincidental that I've written the nine greatest books ever written in the world. I, I, don't know. I, I can't believe it. Like it's what a miracle. Really. I, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> um, well, I would say the scene or the, the sequence that made it that I was really, I loved and made me happy. Um, there's a lot about Jack McKinney who I wrote about a great deal. He was the coach of Lakers and magic was, was drafted. He was his first professional coach. And shortly into his first season, he suffered a horrible bike accident where he landed on his head was brought to the hospital as a John Doe and Paul Weston took over, led the Lakers to championship. McKinney never coached the Lakers again. They get hardcore into that storyline. And um, for me, that's really cool because it was something not that many people knew about. Number one, number two, I spent a day in Florida with Jack McKinney and really loved him and his wife and his family. I have a letter that he wrote me after the book came out, hanging in my office, just thanking me for writing it and how much he enjoyed it. And he died a couple of years ago. And I just think if if this show, just like the book, causes people to know about Jack McKinney and know about the legacy of Jack McKinney, uh, that makes me incredibly happy. Yeah, I'd never I'd never heard of him before huh. I read that. I mean, I'm not a diehard NBA or but I'm very familiar obviously with with Pat Riley and Kareem and Magic, obviously, and then um, Paul Westfall because they did Westhead. For 30, Westhead, Paul Westhead, because they um they did a 30 for 30. Correct. A loyal um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Another, just a tragic, tragic 30 for 30. Correct. Uh, um, 
Um, with with the show just being the one season, is it yeah. like now that you've you've seen how they've taken it? You said you didn't have any thoughts like when they started, whatever. You've seen how they've taken it. Would you like to? I mean, I'm sure you would like to see more. Do you think that the same model can be replicated season after season after season? Would you like to see them bulk up a couple? Because there were a few seasons in the book that I feel like were a little more like little more big than others. Wow, you're insulting some of the seasons in my book. Listen, every very hurtful. You know, you know, hold on. Let me let me power rank the seasons by most interesting to least interesting. The funny thing, wait, I just want to say the funny thing is people are. I was asked recently, like, so which of the Laker championships was the most blah, blah, blah to you? And I had to stop the interview. I was like, I'm just going to be honest, man. I wrote this book a long time ago. and not <laughs> tell you. Um, I know what you're saying. I mean, I, I just don't know. Like, I just, it's, it's not my language. Like, this isn't my world. I think one thing that maybe works for it and gives it some interesting potential is a cool thing about an NBA team or any sports team is you just have characters always coming and going. Like, this first season, there's no Kurt Rambis. Kurt Rambis would be a great character. There's no Bob McAdoo. Bob McAdoo would be a great character. Norm Nixon gets traded for Byron Scott. So that's a huge character who shows up. Um, Riley becomes a head coach and changes immensely and becomes his fashionista. So it's crazy to think about this show airing not with Riley, is because I mean, especially like the back half of the book, the the change in Riley. Right. Exactly. So I mean, Riley's a character in it because he started as a broadcaster, basically, with, as an assistant broadcaster. So um, that's one thing I think sports, in the same way, like, I don't know, were you an Entourage watcher? Oh, yeah. All right, so I think of this show a lot like Entourage. I actually do. Like, I think it's probably a little bit, a little higher brow than Entourage. Like, it's not, or a lot higher brow. But like how characters would come and go and different side characters came and went and um, he'd be doing different movies. So here's Mandy Moore, right? And you know, something else. Here's Bob Saget, the late Bob Saget, different people. I feel like all of a sudden here's Rambus. All of a sudden here's Bob McAdoo. Uh, Pat Riley, a transformed Pat Riley. Um, more Celtics, more of the bird rivalry with magic as it blooms. So I don't know. Hopefully it keeps going. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we're owed as a, as a country to get, get Vlade. Uh, oh, yeah. Vlade. Chain, chain smoking Vlade getting getting in trouble for smoking in his hotel room totally 100 percent. i mean that would have to mean the season would, this, the show would have to go for a while but i don't know i just to be honest with you like um it's just like uh so i've never experienced any of this before and it just feels like i'm living a bar mitzvah this week like <laughs> there's a premiere tomorrow there's another showing on friday the show airs on sunday so i have a tiny party in my house and I'm really trying hard, hard, hard to embrace those little moments, you know, and like, because they just don't happen very often. Um, like HBO is sending a car to my house. That sounds dumb. But like when I told my daughter, she was like, what? And it's like, I don't know what's going to happen with this show. I have no idea. And I, I said to my mom today, if people hate the show, I can just say, well, it was just based on my book. And if people love the show, I can say it was based on my book, you know, <laughs> like long term. That's it. But I'm, I just really want to, if possible, seize the, you know what I mean? Seize the moment of it all and the weirdness and the amazing that this wild, crazy thing has happened to me and my family. I think you should. Like I'm as someone who has met three fourths of your immediate family. Like I'm very happy for everyone. I'm very 
very happy for you. You've been one of my favorite guests on this show. The book it is fucking great. Like a great three drink circus was great. It'd make a great follow up series. I would obviously, I mean, more more sports content ever. That that's that would be good for this show. Um, have you watched? Have you watched it again since you you watched the the first run through? Or will Sunday be the first time you? Or I guess the premiere be the first time since your initial run through? So I probably shouldn't say this, but we uh, the the pilot we've watched a couple of times because we've shown it to relatives and they come visit our house. I don't know if I'm supposed to do that or not, but HBO is about to break in the door. Yeah, exactly. And put, you in the, put you in the HBO gulag. Exactly. But otherwise, I really haven't. Like, just because I'm kind of busy and I have a lot of stuff to write. And um, I also don't watch that much TV. You know, I actually don't. So, like, sitting down and watching a show, even if it's based on my book. And, uh, and also, like, I'm just a tough critic. So, whenever I watch stuff, same when I read my book a thousand times, I see stuff. I always catch little things that maybe irk me more with my books than the show. But it's not, it's not relaxed viewing. In fact, you'd be embarrassed to know that my wife and I spent the weekend watching Love is Blind on Netflix. My, my wife also spent the weekend watching Love is Blind on Netflix. Did you watch any of it? I, I in and out. Um, she usually watches it. She's probably watching it right now. while She usually does it while I'm doing podcasts. But I, I, have, I have caught bits and pieces, yes. Not going to lie. Kind of loved it. Oh, yeah? Kind of loved it. I mean, it, someone's going to need to write the the Love is Blind book. <laughs> Tell all. This, I, I promise I'm going to loop this question into winning time. Did you did you finally watch Ted Lasso? I watched the first season, not the okay. second. You didn't watch it? Why did you watch the second season? I kind of got bored. Really? I just didn't. It's that way. It's not that. Is my dog too loud, by the way? Is that ruining this? Oh, it, Get out. There she goes. Okay. Um, I didn't get bored. That's wrong. I just don't care about TV shows that much where I'm like, you know what I need to do? I need to set aside two hours today and watch all these shows. Like I enjoyed Ted Lasso first season. I got it. I enjoy it. I get why you get it. And then I was just kind of like, all right, I'm good. I know that disappoints you and I am sorry. Do you think if it was, well, actually Ted Lasso did come out once a week, like winning time is like the old fashioned way. So, but the reason I ask is after Ted Lasso, it brought a couple actors, at least unknown, fairly unknown to American audiences, like Brett Goldstein, to most people who like Ted Lasso, besides like you and Chris Long, the only two people I've heard who did not. Oh, wow. Uh, which is good company. Yeah. Um, kind of a household name, like Brett Goldstein, Phil Dunster, Hannah Waddingham, who in two months could be kind of in that, in that same vein of people like pop culture, household name from winning time. Quincy Isaiah, no doubt about it. The guy who plays magic, no doubt about it. I mean, there's obviously doubt about it because who the hell knows for sure. But if you're asking me who's going to become a star, who I've thought about this, who like five years from now, am I going to be happy? I have their cell phone number in my phone who when it landed in my phone. Was this some guy like what, like until tomorrow? No, until Sunday when the show airs, I'm probably more well-known than Quincy Isaiah. Like at this right moment, at this moment right now, I'm probably better known than Quincy Isaiah. That ends Sunday. And he's just going to skyrocket, I think. And he's going to be something really special. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Last thing I've kind of got, um, I would assume like after you you do the bad guys one, you've, you've got a little more juice. It makes it easier to write your second book. Like get your second book published, whatever. Sure. Do you, you, you might not know the answer to this question yet. Is this kind of the same way? Do you think like Michael Lewis now, he uh, 
apparently could like shit out a book and it's going to get option. They might make a movie on it. Your boy, Adam McKay, the big short. Um, does this give the, the Jeff Perlman collection a little more juice to, to get made? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, serious. What do you, I don't know. I, so I was actually looking, I was, I was looking at your books before we, before we started my, I think the one that makes the most sense for a movie actually is football for a buck. Cause I think, I think you could turn, I think you could do it a bunch of different ways. It could be like a, a serious business type movie about, you know, what happens, you know, when you give the keys to a league, to a crazy narcissist. And, and then the world learns from that and make sure never to trust that person again with anything important. Um, you know, the obvious lesson from the USFL, uh, or you do, you do kind of like the big short had some comedic elements is very creative, you know, again, like link you up with Adam McKay again. Um, you could turn football for a buck into kind of like a straight comedy. I think that could be like the replacements. Yeah. Uh, but a better replacements. Yeah. Listen, I love the replacements, but yes, probably like a better replacements. Even, you know, Keanu Reeves hates the replacements. He's wrong. Listen, he's, he's great. Is he really? He's, he's wrong. The replacements is really good. It's better than we are Martian. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not a compliment. So you took that as a compliment. The, replace, a- the replacements has some genuinely great moments, multiple great moments. Saying something is better than we are Marshall is like saying it's better than the shit my dog just took. What is better? We are Marshall. I don't even have I don't even have a second. We are Marshall the 42, actually. Oh, 42. 42. Because the Ben Chapman scene saved 42 from complete. And also, uh, Chadwick Boseman is actually really good. So is his wife. I forgot her name, but she's really good too. Yeah, and and we are marshals before the reconnaissance. And he was terrible in that movie. It wasn't maybe it wasn't his fault, but he played it like a like a mentally deranged non-coach ferret. Not his best. Not his best. But anyway, I guess I guess that's a good place to leave off. Uh, you know, we are Marshall objectively bad. I think we've uh, I think we've made that work in this episode wait see wait i thought your question was going differently though which is actually a debate we've been having i don't mean to interrupt your no 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 ending does this help my career actually being serious like that i don't know I does this think, help my career? i would think so i mean i'm i'm not an expert in this business again no one sends me screeners besides ifc films good for you ifc films sent me a screener for the novice which is a great movie that everyone should go see um yeah, really you should actually go see it. it's fantastic okay um, I, I would think so. And I mean, again, the, the Michael Lewis reference, like once Moneyball works, it's kind of like, okay, what else is in the tank? The big short works. And again, like Moneyball had, has Aaron Sorkin behind it. The big short is Adam McKay behind it, but guess what else has Adam McKay behind it? Like, I don't see, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. I mean, this definitely doesn't hurt. You know, if you took all my books, I was not joking. and probably took Michael Lewis's worst selling book. And subtracted all my book sales from Michael Lewis's worst-selling book. There's a chance he wouldn't notice. <laughs> could Michael Lewis? Well. Could he buy the forum? He might be able to buy the forum. Buy the forum. I mean, he's like he's a he's in Stephen King territory. You know? That must be a nice place to be. Yes, La- oh, last thing you said they recreated the forum. You got to watch, you know, walk on the floor, all that. Did they the lake? Did you walk through the recreated Laker Club? You mean the foreign club? The foreign club, foreign club. I did not, um, but I will tell you something cool that happened along those lines is um, it made my wife, speaking of feeling very old, I was on the set one day and all the Chicago Bulls started walking by. The whole team is walking by. And I FaceTime my wife and I'm like, 
look, Chicago Bulls are behind me. And then the Lakers come by and there's Quincy as Magic Johnson. And I'm like, and he's like, hey, Jeff. And I'm like, hey, Quincy, can you come say hi to my wife? And he grabs a phone and he goes, hey, Mrs. Perlman. <laughs> I'm like, you want to make someone feel old, call them Mr. and Mrs. Perlman. It's a dagger. That's tough. That's tough. But you're now, uh, you're Mr. Perlman who wrote Showtime, which is now uh, a series is based off it. So at least you got that. That is true. You can tell I've gone Hollywood. I'm sure you can tell. Yeah. You, I mean, you're you're just way too big league at this point. Um, Sorry, I wore sunglasses for this interview. That's just all I got. Yeah, and and you've you, you've got your hair plugs in. You know, you've got this lush. You got this lush and smain. <laughs> uh, and you had to call to set this interview up. You had to call my publicist and his assistant publicist, and then my manager, and they kind of they gave you ten minutes. They made me send a telegram just to make it more difficult. They said send yeah, a telegram if it's real. That's right. And then after this comes out, I'm going to get someone to yell at you just because yeah you're gonna send your assistant and their assistant is gonna be the one to, to come yell at me and they're probably gonna do it in person they actually probably subcontract out someone to come 100%. yell at me in my front door that's that's what i'm assuming um 100%. jeff i guess wh where can people follow you where can people check out winning time and promote all your stuff two writers i've talked about it great your newsletter great yeah. everything's jeff great Roman on twitter i have a podcast two writers singing yang comes out every really Monday night, Tuesday morning. And then uh, I started a journalism substack that hopefully will keep going called perlman.substack.com just for enjoyment. And uh, HBO on uh, starting on March 6th and then HBO Max, I guess, streaming throughout. So, you know. Great, Jeff. Thanks so much for returning to Big Screen Sports. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate, leave a review. New episodes every Monday. If you want to support, go to the Patreon. Uh, vote on movies to be covered. Our patrons voted on Beer Fest for this month, the Oscar winner Beer Fest. Uh, so we'll be covering that. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.